0: This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.
1: I'm Johnny Hart, and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's join Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham in London and Trader Nick in the USA. Good afternoon, gentlemen.
2: Good afternoon.
1: Hey, Johnny. Let's first reflect on the earlier ADP figures from the United States, which showed that private payrolls rose 89,000 in September. Now, that is far below expectations. And Nick, ahead of Friday's non-farm payroll figures, it's quite interesting to read these numbers.
0: No, it is. And I think uh, one thing we should say about any sort of data release or statistics is uh, there are such things as blips, and uh, sometimes you can be deceived by you know something coming in. Now, I'm not saying that this is not a slowdown in the labor market. It certainly is good signs of perhaps some of that. But ADP, we always say every month when we do these podcasts, we talk about ADP. uh, We put a little disclaimer out there. This is a look ahead to NFP. NFP is a little bit more of a solidified uh, number, and not to mention that also can be revised. So when you look at jobs data, when you get 89,000 compared to the forecast, which was 154,000, uh, that number does show some signs of cooling in the labor department, uh, but it by no means solidly gives us an answer to say, hey, labor is slowing uh, decisively. And the point that I'm bringing up with that is that when you get all these figures and you see something hit the headlines, it's very easy sometimes to jump to a conclusion. Whereas it is important to probably wait to see what happens on Friday with that NFP jobs number as that'll give us the uh, the employment change a little bit more solidified. Despite that, though, that is a, a good start, I, sugge- I I would say, for uh, what the Federal Reserve wants to see. They want to see some slowdown in the labor market. That labor market is going to keep a plateau on inflation, most likely from uh, breaking down below like the 3.5% as it seems like we've rounded off the bottom. That labor market needs to crack in order for the dollar to slow down and for uh, that inflation problem to, to go away. That being said, we also had I- ISM services, PMI, uh, came out pretty much as expected, not too uh, surprising there and probably not as market-moving as this ADP number that initially uh, did come out, which did act to move the dollar lower initially now the dollar overall is still very strong and rebounded so far here at the time of recording uh some of its some of its losses uh in the early morning session here uh new york time uh, despite that though again dollar bouncing a little bit from its lows and i think again it's probably the market thinking you know hey we've got nfp right around the corner so let's not jump to any uh, certain conclusions. This is also a, a unique time in which we also have uh, the the stuff in our legislation uh, in the in the U.S. Right, we have some some all sorts of debacles going on there with McCarthy being uh, taken out of his position, voted out, and that also amidst kind of a government shutdown fear that we had last week. Of course, they voted to resolve that on Saturday night, pushing that out by f- about fifty days. Well, with with McCarthy being taken out. That is inevitably going to cut into some of that time where there's going to be a situation where they have to spend time voting on a new representative. I think they have an intermediary person that's going to take over. But the point is time is ticking and that government shutdown fear could come right back if they spend a bunch of time fighting amongst themselves before getting at the problem at hand. So it's an interesting time because the dollar uh, overall continues to push higher throughout that yields. Um, down today, but still up overall quite a lot. So it's an interesting time for, for the dollar index and for, for bonds as well. Uh, Craig, what do you think about all that? I mean, obviously we have NFP Friday. That's the obvious thing on our watch list as we look at the markets today. But in terms of all the stuff that we had, the data that came out today, the situation in the US government, what's kind of catching your attention when it comes to the dollar yields, oil, et cetera?
2: I mean, there's so much, isn't there? It's been a really fascinating 48 hours. First thing I'd do is reaffirm what you said about ADP. There's a, a report from Pantheon, and uh, they could not sum ADP up better. They say this year, the ADP compared with the NFP has ranged from an undershoot of 337,000 in January to an overshoot of 348,000 in June. So it's somewhere within a 700,000 job bracket, basically, of being right. I mean, that is not a good estimate, let's be honest. I I think I could throw darts at a dartboard and be more accurate on more occasions than these ADP figures. So let's take this with a pinch of salt that it ultimately uh, should be taken at this point in time. When you take the totality of the US data from the last couple of days, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. We can see that Jolt's data, it was... It was a really strong number, and I think it really caught markets off guard. And ultimately, it led to something we'll probably talk on uh, shortly, that uh, the intervention in Japan, or suspected intervention in Japan. But uh, the JOLTS data was interesting yesterday because it was such a much higher number. It was, what, 9.61 million versus 8.81 million forecast. Uh, and it also appeared to kind of break the downtrend that we had been seeing now for the last 12 to 18 months. But we should always say when these data points move, they don't generally move in a straight line. I can see, I'm looking at a chart now, and I can see two or three other uh, occasions in that last 18-month period when we did see a bounce back in the data, and then it continued to trend lower. So I don't think we should get too carried away with one jolt report, even if the markets appear to do just that. I think it caught markets at a very nervy time when we've seen a lot of action in the bond markets, when we've seen yields rising, when we've seen policymakers repeatedly saying that interest rates will stay higher for longer, which seems to have frayed some nerves uh, among the investor community. Uh, And I think that's led to the kind of the moves and the volatility that we've seen over the course of the last uh, day or so. I don't think any of this really gives us a strong insight into what we can expect from the jobs report tomorrow. So I think that's still Wide open, uh and I think that will ultimately then lay the groundwork for what we can expect over the coming weeks. The U.S. political situation—we always love a circus on Capitol Hill—and we've got just that, uh, so that's going to be a, another distraction now for the next couple of months. But I really do just think all the focus is on the, the central banks. Still, I think there's a lot of focus going to remain on the Fed. And, you know, the best thing about the government shutdown is that means we will get US data over the course of the next six weeks, which I think is crucial. Uh, It comes at a really important time. And if we were to go without data now, I think that could be a really concerning uh, situation. And hopefully that featured into the decision to extend the government for an extra couple of months.
1: Could I ask you guys about uh, the latest uh, oil numbers? Brent crude and WTI today down at the moment, just under three and a half percent crude just below 88 for Brent and WTI is about 86 so we're now seeing the lowest figure for more than a month they've certainly uh, parred back from last month's rally what is behind this uh, move south for oil at the moment
2: well I think there's a few factors at play to be quite honest one is that oil got to a very high level we're looking what around 95 dollars in Brent crude so I think we'd already made massive moves. I think it was like 15% off its lows back in July. So that it's it's no, we're not talking small figures here. We're talking about a move from close to $70 a barrel to close to $100 a barrel. That's massive. That's massive. It's why people were talking about inflationary concern. It's why people were talking about an undersupplied market, imbalances appearing. Uh, so that was not a small move. And then when we saw the peak uh, actually uh, like a week or so ago, if we look at a chart, the momentum indicator suggests that it was starting to run on fumes. Uh We saw lower highs in the MACD, we saw lower highs in the stochastic, and that suggested that there wasn't that momentum behind the move that we'd seen up until that point. So what well, the point of this is, uh, this isn't a technical analysis podcast, but it just goes to show that there's multiple layers to why we're seeing a pullback. I think the poor, the market was primed for a pullback and some of the other things then delivered we've then seen more risk aversion in the markets more talk about growth fears concerns about the u.s economy as the central bank going to tip the economy over the edge is europe already in recession can china bounce back stronger all of that i think that all factors into the demand side of the equation and that kind of helps to accelerate the pullback and then today we've got the opec plus meeting and you may look at the outcome of this meeting and say, well, actually, nothing really that much has come from it. All they've done is said, we're not going to make any changes. But that is something. Sometimes information which looks like nothing can actually be a lot. For some people, they may say they've not changed anything. I would say they've not extended it. They haven't increased it. And what that tells me is that come the end of the year, we may see tweaks. And we may see tweaks, which mean that we see less cuts than what we've seen up until this point. We have to remember that whatever these countries cut output, they're doing so reluctantly because this is revenue. This is revenue for these countries. Yes, they want to see oil prices higher, but ultimately they want to see revenue at the maximum possible level. So when Saudi Arabia is causing output by an extra million barrels a day, they're not doing so lightly. They're doing so because they think it's necessary. What they want to do is get oil prices to a point so they can bring that million barrels back online and make the maximum amount of profit. And in OPEC+, and we haven't had the official announcement yet, but all the rumours has been that they're not going to do anything. Obviously, it will be made to look silly uh, when they now announce something shortly after the recording of this podcast. But Saudi Arabia and Russia have both effectively said we're still going to cut until the end of the year. That tells me that they are considering removing those cuts. So that's 1.3 million barrels a day between them, a million barrels a day of output from Saudi Arabia and 300,000 barrels a day of exports from Russia could come to an end at the end of this year or at least that's something that they are now considering that is bearish for oil and that's why we've seen oil i think fall another three and a half percent today it's all speculation uh and obviously we're all trying to analyze this and work this out as we go but i think what we've seen today from opec plus as marginal as it may seem is a uh, bearish point for all prices and it's going to be interesting to see how markets now respond to this over the coming days because like i say we've seen some quite extraordinary gains and most importantly Brent's now about to be below ninety dollars a barrel. You made mention to this too, Craig, just a moment ago. I wanted to come back to it. The Bank of Japan
0: situation is, of course, uh, a hot story in the FX world. We had the Bank of Japan, as you mentioned, kind of threatening their intervention uh, as soon as we hit right around that one hundred and fifty uh, mark on the dollar yen cross. Uh, this is not the first time they've done this, and uh, you know, I had a lot of people uh, that, of course, in my network, reach out and they said, you know, their their question was, Nick, is you know, clearly if, if 150 is supported by uh, the Japanese central bank, clearly it's it's not going to possibly go above 150. And I just want to say to to podcast listeners, if that is the way you're thinking about the USDJPY, I would just uh, suggest caution on that front. Because if you look at the Swiss National Bank back in 2015, there's a story that uh, people who who were trading Uh, the euro-Swiss franc during that time. Uh, They probably will never forget the moment that the Swiss National Bank said they wanted to keep the exchange rate no lower than 1.20. That was their pegged level against the euro. Well, when they lifted that and when they were unable to support that any longer, the euro-Swiss franc dropped by like 19% in a day. It was just a a massacre to a lot of people out there. So just because a central bank makes a statement, I do want to just offer... Uh, the idea that do not think that it is impossible to cross that 150 barrier. Yes, the Bank of Japan uh, wants and they they want to intervene uh, with the, the exchange rate, but the Bank of Japan solely does not have the ability uh, by itself, most likely to completely stop dollar strength if it does want to continue. Unless they want to, you know, go down with the ship, buying their own bonds, kind of thing. So there is a little bit of concern on the Bank of Japan situation. Again, as we trade around that 150 uh, level, I would just be very cautious. You mentioned technical analysis a moment there, uh, Craig. If that level were to break, this is my personal opinion, that breakout could sustain itself for a prolonged period of time as people lose faith. If this, I'm just saying, this is the hypothetical. Uh, if that level were to break and people lose faith in the Bank of Japan and their words and their threats if that were to kind of become a story those are the conditions for a runaway trend uh, that perhaps similar to the one that we saw with the swiss national bank years ago so
2: anyways that i just wanted to comment on that bank of japan situation craig is there anything you wanted to add to that i think you're right to urge some caution because i think there's another layer to this as well which is the swiss national bank was very explicit about their defense of 120 and the Euro Swiss at the time actually basically hovered around 120 for a very long period of time with repeated interventions from the Swiss National Bank. The difference with the Bank of Japan, and actually it's the Ministry of Finance that conducts these interventions is they are never explicit about the levels. There is no very specific level. There was a lot of speculation about 150. 150 turned out to be the level. The intervention that last took place in September of 2022, and I think this is the one that they confirmed, was around 145.90. Then there's another suspected intervention that took place, which I think was unconfirmed at the time, was around 151.94. So, and I'm saying around these levels, because obviously you can sometimes see different numbers on different trading platforms, the point is, they've never specified a level. They'll also often never confirm what they've done. Today, they have not commented on any intervention stories. They've just said, "We will intervene if we need to. We'll do what we have to." You only find out at the end of the month when you get the kind of the latest facts and figures whether they actually intervened, and then you are still generally making some assumptions. So, I think we it is worth uh, urging caution. Don't be overly attentive to these big levels. If the Bank of Japan did want to intervene and they did want to set a level, I think they probably would be able to sustain it for quite a long time. They do have the ability to intervene in the FX markets. They do have the FX reserves that would enable them to do so, but they know it would be extremely expensive and they know it would be very difficult to do. I do think that's why they opt for this stealth-like intervention, because it means they actually have to intervene a lot less than they would otherwise have to. No one knows when it's coming, as we've seen by these potential interventions that we've now seen over the course of the last 12 months or so, which means they can catch the markets off guard. They also often intervene in the markets when it's relatively illiquid, and I imagine that's probably because it's cheaper. Illiquid markets move further and move faster. Uh, I imagine all of these factors do generally occur when they are making the decisions on when to intervene. It just seems that uh, this week, it seems that the jolt data may have been the kind of straw that broke the camel's back ahead of the jobs report, but we're all speculating here. But it is just a reminder that the Ministry of Finance in Japan, via the Bank of Japan, is ready and waiting to intervene whenever they deem it necessary, and they may do so again. There was about a month in between the last two suspected interventions, so they could do so again and it's something that uh, people should be aware of. I'm not saying it should inform your trading decisions per se, but I would be aware that they could intervene. And while this intervention looks relatively small, I think it was around 250 pip move in the space of less than a minute, which is obviously still huge. Uh, the last couple that we actually saw were closer to, I think, what was it, around five or 600 pips in the October intervention, and we were looking at something around five to 600 pips in the September intervention too. So by comparison, this was a little bit smaller, but it will be interesting to see uh, what they will do next time and if they do it, and whether they comment on this one, which they so far haven't. Yeah, I think the Bank of Japan situation is is definitely
0: something front and center, especially if you're a currency trader. But then again, there are many things that are front and center that we, we've got to keep touching on on the podcast, especially with Friday's podcast coming up. We will be discussing NFP, which is probably going to take uh, headline news by storm for a little while there. Uh, an interesting point that you made there about Bank of Japan perhaps being a little bit more strategic ahead of the jobs number. I didn't even think about that myself, so that's a good point. Uh, anyways, we'll continue to monitor that situation and keep you guys informed on the podcast. Wherever you're listening, I just want to encourage you to thumbs up, subscribe, follow, wherever you're listening. Uh, do the uh, the podcast stuff and help us out on the uh, the show. Of course, we'll be back to help you guys out with some more coverage on Friday. <laughs> Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast,